Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on the Hope for Today broadcast. I'm your host, Doran Wengard, founder of Wengard Ministries, where we are delivering hope to every heart. Now, if you've been impacted by these messages and you'd like to partner with us, please text the word GIVE to 844-333-7227. Also, if you want to sow financial seed into our new organization called Flights for Hope, please go to flightsforhope.org. Now, I've been talking about God's love and how we are to live in a daily pursuit of Him. And today, I want to build on that to kind of emphasize some of the things that I've learned over the years about being in God's presence. So, I've titled this message today, In God's Presence. Now, I'm praying for each of you that from this message today, that you are truly able to experience the fullness of joy of being in the presence of God continually every day. Now, I remember a conversation with someone that I respected greatly, and her life has been a, a continual example of walking in obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And she said, when you are seeking God, be sure that you are seeking his heart and not just his hand. Now, how true is that, that most of the prayers of people are only to receive something from him instead of simply enjoying his companionship. Now, I guess another way that we could say this is seek only him and not just his gifts. Yes, he is good and he rewards us with his goodness, but his underlying goal is to draw us to him. Do you remember the verses in Hebrews 11 that talk about faith and so many examples of, of the men and women of faith? and there's an example in verses 5 and 6, a man who, who really pleased God. In fact, it says that. It says, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, we've read that verse, verse 6, and so many times we don't tie verses 5 and 6 together, but this is really saying Enoch was a wonderful example of someone that pleased God. And the only way that we please God is if we, if we come to him with faith. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God wants your heart and your life to be filled with freedom and rejoicing and dancing. I know that that may not all fit into your background or into your experience, but it does fit into God's kingdom. It really does. We were just praying for an older couple in our local Bible study here in our home, and that was one of the main things that the Holy Spirit was prophesying over them. He was saying, when you are willing to move your hands and your feet in worship, it will open you up in really a way that you can receive other good things that God has prepared for you. So. Be, be aware of this. Let your heart be open to this. Be willing to move your hands and your feet in worship of God. If you're troubled by something, you very seldom find your answer by only consulting with other people about it. You just simply begin by knowing only that God is present. First of all, know that he's there and know that he wants you to experience his presence. Keep your heart content to just lose yourself in God's love no matter what happens. Then, in God's love, you will find your answers. When you go not just to find the answers, but to experience his love, then you can experience 
what you and you can understand far more than just going to him for the answers themselves. Now, very often we feel that God responds only if we present a big enough need. However, he's not just looking at how large or small your need is. God's heart toward you is activated not by need, but by faith. What is it then that activates faith in our own hearts? The two forces that counteract each other in your heart are faith and unbelief. Faith and unbelief are not choices we make, though. They are the result of something greater at work in your heart. In Romans 10, verses 16 and 17, it says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Again, another familiar verse, verse 17, but in verse 16, it says, it says that not all have obeyed the gospel. And I think it's because of unbelief. And verse 17 shows us how to counteract that by hearing the word of God. That's how faith comes. So faith and unbelief exist in a deeper level of your heart than simply at the choice level. Many times we think that we can just choose to have more faith, but that's not what the Bible says. We also tend to think that we can simply choose to get rid of the unbelief in our hearts. So either way, we can't choose to have more faith or choose to get rid of unbelief. It's not at the choice level that unbelief or faith have their roots. If you can think of your heart as soil, where things are planted, you, you can't get to faith or unbelief just by scratching at the surface with your fingers or just by thinking harder about it. You need the help of a tool, like a hoe or a rake or a shovel or something like that. So, like a shovel, the Word of God will dig deeply into your heart, and it will expose and uproot unbelief there, and it will plant faith in its place. We all have faith and unbelief active in our hearts at the same time. They are like two opposing forces pulling at each other. And, you know, the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword or shovel, <laughs> and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So notice, it is the Word of God that has the power to get to your faith and to your unbelief. Have you ever helped out in a, a tug-of-war or witnessed one happening? Both teams have the same opportunity to move that rope across the center line. However, if the teams are evenly matched, the rope barely moves no matter how hard they both struggle to pull it. If they both have the same power, the rope just sits there and they're both pulling at it. So, I want to read a story of what happened uh, describing faith and unbelief and how they can kind of counteract each other in Mark 9, uh, verse, verses 17 through 29. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute, a, a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown himself both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, 
all things are possible to him who believes. And there's the invitation. He's saying, if you can believe. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Recognize the fact that he was asking for help, and he realized he couldn't get there just by thinking harder about it. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, there's many people that have tried to understand this passage, these verses, and say, okay, what was happening here? Okay, so what's so powerful about prayer and fasting that, you know, it would have helped the disciples in this situation? I don't think it's specifically just highlighting prayer and fasting. It's saying that this, and it's not even just this kind of a spirit. It's this kind of unbelief. There's faith and there's unbelief. And he's saying you can't just get rid of uh, unbelief in, in a simple way. It comes out by prayer and fasting. Well, So what happens when a person spends time praying and fasting? You know, the disciples couldn't just go and start quickly praying and fasting when the man brought his son to be delivered. Jesus is talking about a heart condition already at work before they find themselves in this situation. We need to be practicing the presence of God our Father continually and consistently so that our hearts are ready and prepared for any situation that comes our way. See, when we have spent time in prayer and fasting, this unbelief disappears completely and faith grows. The power of faith isn't counteracted by the unbelief. When we see God, then, in his exalted position, it brings honor to him, and it gives him an open door to answer prayers, to to shower blessings on us, and to reward our faith. This is the very reason that the gospel cannot be counterfeited or faked. The power of God is active only in relationship with him. Isn't that the beautiful thing about it? You can't just act like it. You can't just say the right words. You can't just think harder about it and and produce the same results. You have to have a relationship with God. You have to have a growing and deepening friendship and relationship with him. You can perform the very same actions as someone who has the power of God active in their life, but if you don't have a growing and vibrant relationship with God personally, you will not see the same results outwardly in your life. Our primary goal in life should be to think of nothing but God and to be in his presence. Regular Bible reading and devotions is great, but it's not enough to truly experience the joy and the love of practicing the presence of God through meditation. See, this takes effort. This takes time with God, being alone with him. Simple childlike faith allows us to do things purely for the love of God instead of only going for, you know, for the results of his goodness. It's like I said earlier, seek only him and not just his gifts. There are times when I'm in his presence so completely that I feel a great impulse to, to shout praises, to sing at the top of my lungs, and to dance before the Lord with joy. So have you ever experienced that? Were you afraid, maybe, of what others would think of you? 
I want you to look at 2 Samuel uh, 6, verses uh, 14 through 16, and then we'll jump to uh, verse 20. But look at what happens. Look at what David did. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Then David returned to bless, oh, this is verse 20 here then. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. It's actually really a, a sad story. And I, I was wondering, I was thinking of this, and I thought, you know, why did that happen? Why did she have no children? I used to think that she was maybe punished by God for despising David, the chosen one of the Lord, but I don't think that's the case. I think she had simply allowed a, ro a root of bitterness to block the goodness of God from manifesting in her own life. It was her own bitterness that defiled her. It was her own bitterness that kept her barren. So let that be a challenge to you. Don't allow that in your heart as well. So David was dancing before the Lord, and he was not even aware of the people around him. This is another example of an outward demonstration of an inward relationship that had been cultivated for years and years between David and God. This wasn't the first time that David had danced before the Lord. David's relationship with God was far beyond just trying to receive something from him. David's focus was definitely on God's heart and not only on just what he could receive from God's hand. So um, God actually describes this. If you look at how this is described in Acts um, 13 verses uh, 22 and 23. I'm going to read that here. And this is a description of it, but it says, And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. So God described David as one who was after his own heart. Notice how closely and intimately God blessed David. In fact, his relationship with David was so close that he chose to bring Jesus, his own son, into the world through the lineage of David. Now that's a friendship. That's more than just, well, he's my God and I believe in him. See, God wants to have this same relationship with each one of us. It wasn't simply that God chose one day to just be special to David. It was actually David who chose to practice the presence of God in the secret place. David even talks about this in Psalm 91 
In verse 1, he says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You need to go to a private place and just read all of Psalm 91 before the Lord. In fact, Jesus spoke of this going to a secret place in Matthew 6, 6. And he says, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So this action of going into a secret place is not always physically possible in the busyness of life or you know, as, even in the circumstances that you might find yourself in. But God has shown me how to come into his presence, no matter what is going on around me. And you can too. I've literally put in earplugs in my ears and a blindfold over my eyes and just shut out the distractions. And, and this accomplishes the same thing as really you know, shutting the door of my secret place. So the more that I have practiced being in the presence of God continually, I'm noticing that the distractions of things around me have less and less of a pull on my heart. It's actually easier to come into his presence and to stay there. I'm able to hear the voice of God and to feel his heartbeat over every other voice around me. It's like he becomes more and more dominant the more I spend time in his presence. This has come, however, after hours and hours of trial and error, of learning how to come into his presence and then to remain there. So don't be discouraged. Give it a try. Get into his presence and just enjoy being there. I want to challenge you. Just set aside all of the the requests that you have for God and just simply go into his presence to meet him, to experience him. Be willing to make mistakes and allow his grace and mercy to wash you completely and continually from condemnation of any kind. Do not be condemned. All you really need to do is to love him, rejoice in him, and receive his love back toward you. And then be sure to write down your testimonies then of of being in the presence of God. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you.